we should be doing more of working in our genius and doing the things we love to do and delegating the things we don't love to do or we're not good at or things that we're just sort of forcing. And, and almost every person who's an expert, their genius is really the content creation. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey, listeners of the podcast, we've put together an exciting community where you can dive deeper into the content of every single episode. And for those of you who join this community from the podcast, we'll give you an access to a course we've just put together worth $500 all yours for free, while we're sending this out to our listeners of the podcast. Simply go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash podcast to be eligible to get this course for free, and we look forward to seeing you in the community. Thanks again for listening, and now, enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Selling With Love podcast. Super excited about the guest that I'll be bringing on today, which is the first time I get a chance to have a conversation with him, but I've been having a chance to work with his team for the last seven years. While I was at Mind Valley and we were doing personal authors, personal growth, there was a lot of amazing experts that were working with this company called Branditize. Didn't know who they were, but then again, I'm trying to do business with Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, Phil Towns, really big experts in the field, and I was dealing with this company. As I'm dealing with them, every single individual within that company were amazing at what they do. They would be very professional, and they were growing these brands fantastically fast. And then I started wondering, well, who is the man behind this company? How do they put together something that brought so much results for the experts that we look up to, and they're able to make them known, have their message spread, and make the impact possible for people who are thought leaders? His name is Eric Berman, and he's the founder of CEO of Branditize. And what I'm excited to discuss today is for anybody who's been looking to build up their business, there are key things that the big boys out there and the big women out there are looking to put in place to be able to scale, make an impact, and really drive revenue with their knowledge as experts. I want to see if we can tap into their minds of what are the key things we should be looking at while we are looking to grow, scale, and build an amazing business in the process. Now, the man has over 25 years in growing business experience, has worked with amazing authors, as I've mentioned, and with consumer brands such as HeartMath, Aptera, Terrasana, Davi Skin, has a passion for horse racing as well. So we might even touch on this, but the man's also had a chance to do a lot of investing in different businesses, restaurants, and so much more. Very excited to have Eric on the show. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to chatting today. And it's been amazing. We were just chatting earlier. I couldn't believe that we've been talking a little bit for seven years, yet you and I haven't spoke directly. So that's awesome. Well, to be honest, that's a testament. And I was telling you this just before we hit record. If you can have a good impression of someone through their team that they've built, I mean, I think that's almost more difficult than having a good reputation for yourself because it has a big element of culture which wasn't where I was thinking of starting, but I think it's an important place to talk about, is you're working with about 38 employees now. Uh, How much emphasis do you have on team management, culture building within your own organization? Yeah, very perceptive. You're right. And I appreciate it. It was a little bit of a compliment. You said that, and I took that to heart because that is something that is a huge, huge part of what we've built. And, you know, for me, culture, it really starts with that. Prior to branditize, and I won't go too into it, but 
you know, right out of college, you know, 21 years old, jumped into a startup and three of us turned into 400 employees just like that. And I got a really nice whiff of what it's like to build teams and go crazy and expand and do the dot com, all the craziness. Side note, we had built like the first Facebook of all Facebooks and almost went public two months from going public. And then the market crashed and, you know, went from almost being retired at 27 to, you know, having lost it all. But there's actually two parts of that conversation. I'm going to kind of go on a tangent. I actually was introduced to Brian Tracy at that time during that company because we used to have mandatory listening at 6 a.m. with Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins. And if you were late, by the way, at 6 a.m., you brought breakfast for the rest of us. And that's how I really learned personal development. And that was my first taste of experts. And it's kind of like looking back and part of why, and I'm going to get to your question, but but part of why you know I'm really in love with what I'm doing, helping experts build their empires is because... I was able to learn early on at 21, I was building my first company, the importance of really personal development, professional development. I would never got that kind of education in school. It's one of the things I wish schools do more of is teach the fundamentals, goal sending, time management. I know you're really good in productivity, things like that. I mean, I wish we had learned that stuff early on, got exposed a lot of that. And I fell in love with, you know, personal development and growth and all the kind of stuff you can learn during that time. There was so much going on in building teams. And when you grow that fast and understanding the importance of culture, I learned a lot. I mean, what's neat about that when you go through that kind of experience is you also learn what you loved and what you didn't love. And then when you get to build your own company again, you kind of get to you know play on both sides. And there's just certain things I didn't enjoy as much, but a lot I took out of that. And I think you know, when building this team, there's so much we focus on and really having a good culture. And there's a lot of things we can get into and there's some things we implement to have a good culture. But it is an important part of the business. We focus on it all the time. I mean, right now we're going through growing pains of the new world, the new order, if you will, with going from having everybody in San Diego in our office to now having, you know, probably a you know, handful of people in the Philippines to a lot of people outside of San Diego to a large people in San Diego. And how do you create this hybrid remote work culture? And we're learning, we're digging into it. I'm constantly asking the team for help and what they think. You know, we have a culture committee that's assigned to, you know, constantly working through culture. And so it's a big part of what we do. Yeah, well, I think that's a growing pain that a lot of us are having. I know I actually was at Valley for the first part of the pandemic, but luckily we had made some changes to be a lot more remote since we had started opening a second office. And that kind of made it so much easier to transition to this new world. But the challenges keep going and it's not going back to what it was. Like you would think, oh, once the pandemic's over, everyone's coming back in the office. You probably haven't witnessed this, but what would be some of the biggest upsides you've seen now that we have this new work arrangement? Yeah, I mean, I love this talk because to me, there's pros and cons, and I'll kind of lay into the pros and cons I've seen. Certainly, some of the pros is obviously from the hiring. I mean, it opens up worldwide the opportunity to bring in talent from all over the place. So you have that. I feel like the actual amount of hours, you know, people are working really hard, a lot of hours, there's a lot of efficiencies, there's not a lot of wasted time going to the quote water cooler or driving in and out of work. And I think there's also a lot of flexibility people really love, you know, the employees love having the flexibility to being able to work from home, whether it's spending some more time with their families or just, you know, time to unwind at the comfort of their home or wearing their loungewear. You know, it just allows people a little bit more of that flexibility. And so there's a lot of positives of that. I think some of the drawbacks and it's hard for people to understand this sometimes, and it's not necessarily a tangible thing, and it really does go to the culture, that there's something magical that happens when you're in person that you just can't actually get. Whether it's, I have a quick question, and I just want to bounce something off of you, and I just you know roll over to your cube from my cube, and we just you know knock something out real fast. There's that collaboration aspect 
that doesn't necessarily happen in this world. You know, right now I got to get on Slack and I got to go, you know, schedule a meeting and, you know, jump on our Google calendars. And by the time I've scheduled that meeting and found a time for us, I could have already knocked that out in a five minute conversation. So, you know, you're lacking a little bit of that inefficiency and the quick information. Now, I know that also means less interruptions for the people that don't like to get interrupted. I get that. But there's also something magical when everybody's just trying to do a quick, you know, conversation and knock it out. And then I think the last, I always talk about like the C's, the collaboration, the community, the culture, the communication aspect. You lose a little bit of those. But one of the biggest ones is the depth of the relationships. You know, walk into lunch with a coworker, you don't get that all of a sudden. So I don't get to know people at the core at a much deeper level. And we're always pushing that within our culture. Like we talk about, let's talk about our personal goals. Let's get to know each other. Let's get to know what passions they have and let's help them achieve their goals beyond work. It's a lot harder for me to understand that and for others to help each other when we don't have those kind of conversations. So, you know, it's a little bit of give and take. You know, we do something in our company for a while on the culture side called Fun Fridays, where once a month we'd get the whole team together to sort of stop half day and then we would do an activity. We'd all go somewhere and do something fun together as a group, just to bond. That changes a little bit. You know, now you're trying to come up with remote activities where you get people when you do the Zoom rooms and all that. It's still never the same. I mean, you do the best you can. And then, I mean, we at least tried our last Friday. We kind of split it up. We did escape room all across. So the locals in San Diego got to do the escape room together and the virtual team got to do their own version of a virtual escape room. And everybody had some fun with that one. But it's a constant iteration of finding ways to create those bonds. Well, if I was doing something like this, I'd want to have at least the people that are virtual can maybe find the answers for the escape room and being like, you guys got to go on Google, go and find the answers so we can get out. So you'll be our guides. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's really fun to see how you guys have adapted. And, you know, it's interesting because I got into building my business, hiring my team in this world. So I have only just started recently. And so I haven't had the adjustment necessary. I've just been reaping the benefits of being able to reach the world and bring some people together. I have somebody out in America, somebody in the Philippines, people in Bali, so, and even in Europe. So I think that was what I find is the easiest thing is we're now all accustomed to working remotely. So a lot more people jumped on that. So very, very cool to witness. And I think it just also depends what industry, you know, you and I, the work we do, it's kind of like, that's the world we have to be ready for. And I know there's other companies you know, at least for me, the world of digital marketing agency, you know, the leverage really is on the employee at this point. And so I have to adapt and CEOs in my world have to adapt. Otherwise, they're going to lose the talent. And so, you know, it's no point in fighting it. It's just a matter of how do you adapt and make sure you can create a world-class culture with the new order, if you will. Absolutely. Now, you just mentioned this whole industry that you're in, which kind of makes me want to bring the conversation exactly there. You have these amazing authors, like I mentioned again, Phil Town, you have Brian Tracy, these are world-class experts in their field, whether it's personal growth, finance, education, and you became in existence because there was a problem. There's something that they were lacking and you were able to help with that problem. And I'd love for you to kind of walk us through what is it that you notice in the industry for anybody who's an expert, even at the level of legends like Brian Tracy, and how you were able to provide tons of value for them to be excited and working with you for the longest time. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a fundamental across really any kind of job if you're looking at anybody trying to grow their business. And I think what you learn, at least what I've learned along the way is, as I grow in my own leadership, is that we should be doing more of working in our genius and doing the things we love to do and delegating the things we don't love to do or we're not good at or things that we're just sort of forcing. And, and almost every person who's an expert, their genius is really the content creation. It's teaching and educating and writing that content and getting on stages or writing books and you know stick a camera in front of them and they can go all day long. However, go out there and build a team 
and or go, you know, get on the phones and make sales calls and or go figure out, you know, Facebook ads. That's just not going to happen. So really what we're solving and really I think more than anything, we're, we're freeing them up to do the need there is we're freeing them to do is be able to serve the world more by getting rid of all the stuff that's getting in their way. You know, part of our mission is to make a positive impact and work with clients that make a positive impact. And we can do that by allowing our clients to give more of the love that they can spread. We give them more of that ability to do that and take everything else off their plate. And so that was the need. And then now it's just a matter of executing on that. Yeah. And I just want to highlight, you know, for someone to get to a point where they should be looking outwards for somebody to help them with these tasks, this is not something we should even be considering when we're just getting started, I would assume. Is there a certain point that you feel that, hey, all of the things, because I know yourself, you focus on helping build their brand, do the sales, do the advertising, scale the business. It's a lot of the sales and marketing portion of putting your message out there. And I want to frame this question in the sense that there's so many people that come to me that have a message. And then what they feel is like, oh, all of that marketing and sales are things that get in the way for them focusing on their core message. But I feel that there's almost like an undergraduate program we have to go through doing it ourselves to get to a point where we should be working with experts to be able to be more specialized. And I'd love for you to see if you had any kind of metrics of how to know this or advice you give to people, because I'm sure there's tons of people knocking on your door saying, please take care of my vision and expand my message. But there's certain criteria that you look for. So I'd love to dig into that. Yeah, you're definitely dead on. It's interesting and it's different for everybody. I think to me, it falls into, if you think about energy and how much energy it's taking, if I'm an expert and some people will be at a different scale of doing those other things outside of the creation. You know, maybe they're okay doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, but they just tear about these other areas or they're terrible at everything. I think if they're terrible at everything, they got to get help right away. So we'll talk about how to do that. If they could do some of the stuff, then it's almost like bootstrapping a company, right? The longer they can go and stomach those things and do those things that may be a little bit more energy draining, but at least can get away with it for a period of time until they could afford to delegate it or to hire somebody off, then go that route. So the answer to me would be, how painful is it for you to do those things you don't like to do and how much energy is it sapping? Because if it's crushing your ability to do the things you love to do, you're going to spin your wheels and be on that treadmill and you're always just going to be frustrated. So then the question is, well, how do I do that? You know, there's obviously different levels. If I'm that person who needs help right away, you know, my advice would be, how can you find um, somebody who loves your message and is passionate about your teachings that would be willing to almost offer their services for up to free? You know, I'm an example of somebody and maybe put me in crazy land, but my first startup that I talked about, I worked 18 months without a salary. I was passionate for this business and I just love doing startups and building up. And I was all about getting the stock and equity. You talk about Brian Tracy, the way I got that deal is I walked into Brian's office and said, I know you need help with a website and this internet thing. And I was introduced to a friend. He needed help with a website. I said, I'm a big fan of yours. I know your stuff. I know what you need to do. I'll tell you what, I'm not an employee. I'm an entrepreneur. I'll come in and build this, but don't pay me until I make you a profit and I make you money. And I was confident in my ability, exactly. But the ability for me to walk in there and do that, it saved him so he didn't have to necessarily come out of pocket and reduce the risk. So how do you as an expert find a fan who loves your stuff that's willing to maybe take money later on through the success? You know, so I would maybe say, well, if I was going to pay this person, you know, three, four thousand dollars to do this job today, shit, I'd be willing to pay them a hundred percent of my make right now if they do it on the come and do it based on performance initially until we can build that together. If you get creative on that, and then that's sort of the extreme, and then I think anywhere between there, you know, you can reduce that from there all the way to you know, delegating for money if you have a budget to start putting up money. 
you know, as far as budgets, I mean, we can get into that. But I think for any expert out there, we do get a lot of that. And I feel like if you have a book or let's say you have some content and you want to get it out there and you want to build a business, I hate to say it. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But like if you're just wanting to delegate entirely, we tend to tell clients that you got to be willing to invest probably close to 100 grand and be ready to go six to nine months or six to 12 months to really build a business if you want to be serious about this. And you're investing in yourself. And anybody that says they could do it for less is probably lying to you and just trying to take your money because there's a lot. That doesn't mean you need that to become a Brian Tracy or Jack Canfield, but to actually get some momentum and get your messaging correct and get your courses built and do the A-B testing you need to do with your funnels and building customers. And we do get a lot of people who are just like, I got some content and maybe an Amazon book and I only have you know $8,000 or $5,000 and can I make money like next month? And it's just, at the end of the day, it's going to be more work and we're only going to lead to disappointment. And it's just the reality of it, but it's like any other business you're trying to build up. So I gave some suggestions. If you need that help, there's ways to go about it, like I mentioned. Yeah, and I appreciate the honesty. And I'm even going to poke even more down this lane, which is, you know, even as I select people to come on my podcast, right? Oftentimes, my inbox is flooded with people that want to come on my show. And I have to have some sort of filtering mechanism. And I'd love to hear if your opinion is similar as mine, which is, you know, the first metric I usually look for is how many followers, subscribers they have. I look for a metric of reach as an indicator of their expertise. And there's almost a part of me that says, if you're an expert in your field and you have a message, then you will have done what is necessary to grow to a level to gain the attention around your message. But there's some people that are like, wow, that's quite discriminatory. I have a great message, but I don't have any reach. You know, nobody has discovered me yet. Why don't you give me a chance? And I'd love to hear where does your opinion sit when you see so many people who might be in a similar situation who are like, if only people would discover me, then I'd have a chance to blow up. Yeah, I mean, we look a little bit less at reach. We put our prospects into two categories. Category one, our more ideal one, is somebody who actually has that product built. They actually have a funnel. They have something up and running, and there's true metrics that you can see. And it's like, okay, I need to scale. And their team probably consists of one person in marketing, or maybe they're doing some of it, and they have a friend, family member, et cetera, taking on all those hats. There's something you can look at, and you can say, all right, there's something to work with here. Then we can see how many followers and how much revenue they're generating. Then there's the other side, which is what we're really talking about through your question. And it goes back to what I mentioned, because we do get a lot of people that say, I know I'm just starting or I only have a few followers, but I'm really committed to this thing. And that's when we turn it around and say, well, how committed are you? Because I think your version of what committed mean may not be what reality is. And I say this, of course, in a nice way, because there could be somebody that says like, hey, I just left this company and I have a message and I retired from my corporate job and I want to go out there. And I don't want to like necessarily push them aside knowing that they generally have a lot of money to invest in the business and they're ready to do the things they want to do. So there are people out there and I won't judge based on followers because that's what they're paying us to do is they want us to actually build it from scratch. But I mean, really, we have to love what they're doing. Obviously, we want to make sure we like the product and what they're doing because we don't want to align ourselves with brands that we don't believe in and don't feel good about. But assuming we get past their message and what their expertise is in, then they got to be able to financially step up for that group of people. Amazing. So let's bring it to a bit more hopeful for anybody who's feeling discouraged saying, oh, I'm just getting started. Like maybe there's no hope, but no, there's definitely hope. There's definitely massive things you can do by yourself or with these fans. And I love this idea of using your fans as somebody that can help you build the parts that you might not be as excited about building, 
but I'd love to know if you had some general advice for those people who are committed, want to do the work, and need to do some of the initial step themselves. Are there initial things that you recommend for people to do to get to a point where they're at least out the gate, they're going out and they're now doing the right things? Is it certain mediums you prescribe, certain massive milestones you think they should achieve and focus on? A couple things on that. First of all, you know, if they were coming to us, we like to say branditize has the branditize method, brand build, monetize. And those are the three stages. We always want to go in that stage. So they really can work on their first stage. The brand stage is a lot of it. It's not just, quote, let's get a logo up. It's understanding your avatar, your customer, and really, really honing in on that. Understanding your messaging, understanding how you're going to go find that avatar once you've identified that avatar. What is that message? What's the emotion you're trying to evoke through your messaging? And why you? What's the, And then how do you start building credibility? So I think you could start by focusing on that phase of it. Before you worry about build and monetize, so brand build, monetize again for branditize, you know, build is all the assets. That's your funnels, your email marketing, you're putting your websites together. You know, you could do a basic one there and then ultimately monetize, which is lead gen. But there's so many of the clients that come to us that we like to say you have a leaky roof in your house. The house isn't even in order yet. We have to fix the first part of your business. And there's a lot they could do on their own before they hit us. So what do I mean by that? You know, so back to the brand. Really, really spend the time to hone in your message. What makes you unique? Why you? And then I will also tell people to go out there and look on the web and research others that you feel you like the way they're doing their marketing and reverse engineer some of the things they're doing. What kind of videos are they putting out there? And then also, what platforms are you most comfortable in as an expert? Do you want to get on YouTube? Are you afraid to get beyond camera? Do you want to get on podcasts? So just start to lay out all the different areas that you think you're most comfortable in because that's what's going to give you the energy. Like if you just want to get it by hand camera, great. Maybe you could just shoot a bunch of content on that. But understand fundamentally what makes you unique, what your message is going to be, why people want that message, what emotions, what transformation are you going to help people with? And spend a lot of time on that area. And then when you start blogging and creating content, you'll start to get people out there that will raise their hand and you'll know what's resonating. And it doesn't hurt by putting a lot of content out there that eventually will kind of work itself out. And that'll kind of tell you a lot. Well, what I find also amazing is for anybody that will go to brandatize.com, we'll put a link in the show notes as well. So you can actually see there's tons of free courses that you also offer for people that might not be ready to be a client with you that actually can start figuring out these fundamentals. Do you have one of these that you find is more exciting? You have five pages of different courses. I'm seeing here, you know, how to use Instagram stories, how to look at social media trend, how to increase your engagement with graphics. I mean, you have tons of stuff here. Is there one of them you feel that are more exciting for people to get started with? Uh, that's a tough one to answer for a couple of reasons. One is I don't remember every course on there. We, I just having the team. I'm like, hey, anytime we do something, let's just get it up there. Let's serve and try to get as much content to help people out. And I think it just depends where everybody's at. You know, I mean, like you said, you just rattled off a few of them. So I think it's where am I stuck? Then I would kind of kind of focus on that. And whether you go to our site or anybody else's site, I mean, you just obviously nailed something else. There's so much content out there on what people could do to get started. You know, we certainly have a lot and are a great place to start. We actually do offer a section called Branditized Boardroom, where we do like a three-day intensive where we walk through every element of your business and, and kind of do that in a group setting. And that's a, kind of like another thing we offer to people who aren't ready to become full clients yet. And that's a little bit more intimate. So that's another example. Again, whether it's us or anybody else, it just depends on what level of commitment you have to get ready. There's courses you could buy. There's a lot of content for free, things of that nature. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure there's some link to the show notes for anybody who's interested in that. I'm personally interested in that. So maybe I'll go poke around and see what's going on there. I wanted to go back into, you know, now you're representing these different authors, right? And you're at a scale, you have 38 people. What do you think is one of the most common ongoing activities that 
these authors regularly need? Like you mentioned how content is something that's everywhere. Do you still see that as one of the major things we should be spending most of our attention when we're getting to the later stages of our scale? Yeah, I think continuing to be relevant, to continue to serve their audience, a big part of what we're able to assist with, believe it or not, is once we understand that message, there's a nice tie between getting your SEO and your content plan together on what types of triggers are going to create more organic. Like what are people searching for out there that resonates with what you can teach and then be able to continually get content out there based off of that. Here's a fun little tip strategy that I heard recently at an event, a mastermind I went to, just even for content ideas, what are others doing that might be somewhat competitive? That if you go to, let's say their YouTube channel or podcast, which one's getting all the views? Like all of a sudden, you know, if you're getting a certain amount of views and then you see one video that's just getting a ton of views, what's that piece? That tells you right there, that's a hot topic that you might want to talk about. So I think a lot of it is, like you said, so I think a lot of what they need help is the content, but just the fun about everything else. It's just get out of the way. Let me teach. Let me do my thing. And can you please organize it all for me? I think another trend right now, email marketing is an area that I believe that people don't do enough of and creating that ongoing One thing that I like to say in the world of expert marketing, which is a little bit different when you think of your direct-to-consumer, is it's not about putting up a Facebook ad, getting them to do an impulse buy of that widget or that cool little, you know, thingy that the gadget you have, and I'm going to go buy that product for under 100 bucks on, you know, through Instagram or Facebook. In our world, we got to create relationships and credibility. So, what types of things are we doing to nurture that lead? And you have to remember that's not about that first 30 days. So we have people on Brian Tracy's list that are buying three, four years later. Phil Towns list, as you mentioned, it, sometimes they don't buy for, you know, they don't go to an event for, you know, 18 months, 12 months. But what we're doing is we continue to nurture and send emails out and make them feel part of the family. And then the other thing I was going to say is right now, we're all probably hearing it. There's such a big trend on relationship-based email and relationship-based copy. You know, moving away are the days of the promotional. It's all about you know, creating the story, showing vulnerability as experts. You know, what can you do to talk about your story? What got you to where you are today? What tough times did you go through? Don't hide behind that. Show that. Be vulnerable because people love that. They will resonate with what's going on. I mean, if we all sat back and thought about it for a second, thought about some products that we've been buying recently, how many times have we bought something? It's like, I'm just buying from this person because I just like them. I don't even know what they're selling anymore, but I just trust them. doesn't matter. I think they're great. I love their story. I'm just going to buy that product. I mean, that happens because they're taking you through their journey of what they've been through and you feel like you can resonate with them. So I kind of went a long answer to your question and went off the rails a little bit, but hope that helped. (laughs) That definitely does help. And I think what I picked up the most from that is towards the end, just saying like how much emphasis on relationship in the long term. And I think that's one thing I find is quite unfortunate in how I see a lot of people that are advertising themselves, trying to support people that are experts in their field. Maybe they are writing a book. They want to get their message out. It's all about how do I get results in 20 days? How do I get results in two weeks? How do I get results in short, short time? And what you touched on is these long tail customers, like 18 months before they actually get and make their first purchase is something I've been continuously seeing through metrics across everywhere I've worked. And there's a bit of a, you know, I speak a lot about selling with love. There's a huge gap of looking at that long term and being able to play the game so long that you actually get to monetize over the long run. And we're very impatient. And I think this is what you're talking about is building that relationship becomes one of those key things to be patient about so that you can, for the long term, build a brand and actually have a very successful business in the process. 
I wanted to ask you something that's more related to the sales process, which is some of the key activities that you find are the most exciting to sell. Now, you're in a position of a CEO, so I know there's sales happening across the board. You have to convince people to work with you. You have authors that have to come on board, or you have for representing the authors, you have to sell to more customers that come and work with those specific authors. And I just wanted to open up the question of what is the most exciting sale under that label that you have when you're a CEO that gets you the most excited about doing the work you do? Now, there's two parts you just mentioned. Is Branditize selling the potential expert and then the experts ultimately selling? So which half of that do you want me to get into? Let's talk about you actually selling the experts. Yeah. So I'll talk about this because this is new and relevant. Even over the last six months, we've made a couple tweaks to our process, which has been really helpful. And it actually falls a little bit with your branding. So step number one is one thing we failed to, and this is, I think my own ego got in the way for a while. And that is Branditize went from working with Brian Tracy and others and always having experts to not even drinking our own Kool-Aid, if you will, and going against our grain of what we teach. We went out there and went pretty wide. We didn't stay focused. We didn't niche down. We tried to be all things, an agency that did everything. And then we tried to just be B2C. And then we started working with authors and speakers and other brands. And this was my ego getting in the way of saying, well, is it sexy enough just to work on this one niche? Am I going to get too pigeonholed? Is there enough clients out there? And this was a decision made six, seven years ago. And I think, you know, out of a little bit of fairness to myself, and I don't want to beat myself up too much, there was a lot less experts out there six, seven years ago, a lot less mediums. And I think in my own warped sense of thinking, it was like I was so used to working with like Brian and Jack. I'm like, well, there's not a lot of Brian and Jacks out there. I was so wrong. I mean, the reality is there's some great, great clients and niches you never have thought about. One of our best clients now is, you know, one of the top gurus that teaches people how to do land development and, and how to acquire land, add value to it and sell it. And it's a really great business that's thriving. And so there's experts everywhere in a lot of different niches. So step one is reminding everybody the importance of niching down and figure out what makes you unique to others. That's part of the sales process because that'll help you with your lead flow. It helps with when I talk to you and I say, hey, Jason, you know, if you had anybody you think might be good for us, you're now thinking in terms of making your job easier. And before I wasn't making my friends' jobs easier. And I'm a guy who goes out and does a lot of networking. And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. So getting your niche down, number one, really identifying who your avatar is within that's very helpful. Reverse engineering a good avatar. And then ultimately the sales process. So one of the cool things we made a pivot on. I'll tell you what didn't work and what's worked. And I learned this from, I'll give credit to Blair Enns, who teaches a lot of really good author, teaches a lot to agencies, is agency is interesting in that we're one of the only service providers that gets treated differently than almost other service providers. So let me give you a fun analogy. Um, if you go to your doctor's office because your knee hurts and you can't walk and you hurt a big snap, you don't go to your doctor and say, hey, doc, my knee's broke. It's my left side. And I want you to do arthroscopic or full knee construction surgery. And I want that procedure done. That's not going to happen. You don't tell him or her what you're going to do. You're going to go in there and say, my knee hurts. And they're going to say, well, tell me what's wrong. Let's go through an MRI. Let me give you a diagnosis before I prescribe what's going to happen. And of course, you're going to say, no problem. You're the doctor. You're the expert. I'll do what you tell me. And if that's what the bill is going to be, so be it, because I want to get my knee fixed. Okay, now let's go into the world of what typically happens in a lot of services and agencies is people come to us and say, here's my business. I need more revenue. And I think I need a funnel. My email's broken. I need more Facebook ads going. That's what I'm looking for an agency to do that. And we're like, okay. And most of the time we were just in the habit of saying, okay, great. We've got a client. You know, here's a prospect. Let's do a proposal. Let's talk to them, you know, and let's try to figure out what their budget is. And so you spend weeks doing a proposal, you send it back to them. And all of a sudden, by the time you get in the proposal, they're like, well, I don't know if that's exactly what I need. I think I need this and this and this. And it's confusing. It's complicated. You're spending all this time trying to figure out 
trying to translate what's in the client's mind, which changes probably on a daily basis as they go through their own set of urgent matters. So we shifted it. And now our whole model is we got to change the sales process. Now what we're going to do is we're going to sell a strategic review. Step one is let's give some value to the client. Let's actually help you. Let's show you that we immediately found something. So I go to you, Jason, and say, hey, Jason, let me see what you're doing. Okay, immediately here's something you could do to implement. Okay, you're like, oh, thanks, Eric. You're the expert and I like what you do. Thanks. What else you got? I say, well, why don't we spend three, four hours with you, Jason? And I'm going to bring a strategist and some of my top people and we're going to go through a whole exercise and really walk through your whole business. And at the end of that, we're going to come up with a plan for what's going to make your business successful. How's that sound? Yeah, great. Now they're asking me, well, how much is that going to cost me? Normally, we were doing that same work for free. Now we turn around and say, well, Jason, I'll tell you what, normally we charge 10 grand for this. But since it looks like we're our client, we talked about all sorts of things. If things work out, we can work together. I don't really want to charge you anything. But if I do that, I know you're not going to take this seriously. I got to charge you something. So how about you pay me $1,500? We'll go through this four-hour session and what you're going to walk away with all sorts of great ideas that's going to help your business. Now, if you want to continue working with us, I'll apply that $1,500 towards our first level of business. If you feel like you don't want to work with us, you can take that information and go on your own. And if you feel it's a waste of time, I'll give you your money back. How's that sound? So now you got nothing to lose. But what's happening is when we now have that four-hour session, we've had two commitments from you. We have a financial commitment and a micro commitment of your time. And now you spend four hours going through your business. And during that time, we're obviously giving you information and pointing out some things that you're walking away saying, wow, that was a really great session. If nothing else, I learned a bunch of stuff. You've seen how we work. You feel more and more confident. Are you really going to go to get like 10 other proposals from other companies at this point? Probably not. So that's been our new process has been really working well. And it's really well for both sides because it allows our clients to take it seriously and for them to do the deep thinking as well versus just throwing a bunch of stuff at us at an hour call and expecting us to perform miracles. And the final piece I'll say on that is when we actually start now working with the clients, it's like we're doing the things we're supposed to be doing versus what was happening in the past is we would do what we sold only to find out fairly quickly, like, well, why are we doing these things when the client really needs X, Y, and Z? Well, because we sold this is what this client wanted. Well, we know how that story is going to end 90 days later. So I just kind of threw a lot at you, but this was years of learning of massive pivots that's totally helped our business. So there's agency owners out there that are listening as well. Hopefully they got some value from that. Well, absolutely. As an agency owner myself, I'm feeling like I'm working towards the right path. And to be honest, what you're speaking about is exactly what I advocate for is just like reversing the risk. And I know if you're probably a fan of Jay Abraham as well, to me, when I hear you pitch that, I'm like, that's a risk reversal in a powerful way. But I did want to poke on one element you spoke of, and this will probably be towards the tail end of our conversation, which is the monetary commitment. And, you know, for me to write my book, I work with a company called Scribe. And what I thought was probably the best decision that I made was actually giving them, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Like the investment of money contributed more significantly to my commitment to finish this project than anything else. Totally. And so I wanted to ask you, how important is that monetary investment in something that's important to us to get the results we're looking for? You nailed it. It's exactly what you said. I think it's just a total mind shift when you actually write that check. And whether it's just the fact of writing a check, that's great. Obviously, the higher a check, the more motivated you're going to be. And so that's part of you know our job in the early phases to understand budget when we talk to different clients and having that realistic conversation. That's been hard over the time. I mean, when you're sometimes running around, and again, you hear it a lot as you learn to run a business. Don't desperate. Don't be take that money. Don't take that client that can't afford you. It's not going to work out well. And, and certainly we make mistakes. But you got to have a client that can make that commitment because you just nailed it. If they're not willing to make that commitment, 
it's not going to work well. I'll tell you one other story on that topic. And this kind of one more part of the branditized sort of world we play in. I mentioned earlier in the conversation that when I went to Brian Tracy, I said, hey, I'll build this business for you and, and don't pay me anything. Now, in hindsight, we went off and did that same model with a couple other clients. And we started off offering this Talk about a risk reversal. Let's imagine me going to you, Jason, and saying, hey, I'm going to go in there and do like thousands of dollars worth of work and don't pay me until we get your results. I mean, nobody's going to turn that offer away. That became a problem for the reason you just mentioned. If Jason doesn't have skin in the game under that context, well, what do I have to risk? You know, you're not going to quite get back to me when I need you to do that content. And you're going to kind of get to things. And maybe the numbers you told me when you first sat down might have been skewed a little bit towards your record month and, you know, might have been some embellishments here. And I know you wouldn't do that, Jason, but I'm saying people out there, you know, tend to maybe embellish some of the data out there. So that was a painful lesson many years ago that we made. So another share I'll, I'll do with that we've done in the performance model is now our new model is let's date before we get married. And so I'm still able to add that twist to our business, which makes us also unique. One of our USPs is I'm able to say to you, hey, Jason, I'll tell you what, now that you've spent the four hours with us and we're going to commit to this first project, once we get to the point where we like working with each other, we have a good relationship, and we actually have a working business where we can see the money, and I know what I'm investing in, at that point, we can go to a marriage part of our relationship where you could stop paying me retainer or we could share retainer, and I'll start taking a percentage of the business based on success where the risk will be reduced. But now I understand the business a lot more, and it's a much different game than what we used to do. So it's a long answer to your question about how important it is to put up money. And we learned the hard way. We would certainly get clients as new clients, but if they weren't putting money up, it was a disaster almost every time. Eric, this has been a fantastic conversation touching on so many different points. Another thing I want to just highlight from what you just said is the importance when you're going out there to have that dating period before the marriage period. I think that's a huge one that is often overlooked when you're excited and you're like, we'll do anything and get started so strong, but then, you know, expectations aren't clear. And so it shows to the maturity of your organization. And I'm so glad that you were open with us to talk about your past mistakes as well. So fantastic conversation overall, Eric. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing. For anybody listening, a couple of things we touched on. If you're an expert, you know, taking from Eric's advice here, there's definitely something you need to look into, which is, you know, how committed you are to actually bringing your message out. See, it's always great to have companies like Branditize that exist to take people to the next level, but there's some minimum investment of work and things that we need to do to be ready to work with such an organization. Tons of resources are going to exist on the Branditize website, and you'll see in the show notes, we'll put that there so you can see where are the places you can focus. And of course, I'll suggest that if you're listening to this podcast, you're already on the right space to learn about some of the marketing and sales concepts as well. That being said, we also discussed about what does it look like when you're building an agency? Well, knowing that you want to have that dating period before getting married, making sure that there's a financial commitment. But I'm also going to emphasize that, you know, when you first get started, just like how Eric did, took the risk completely on his side and worked for free. Now, that might not be a successful business model over the long term, but if your first client is what you're looking to get and you know who is the one client you can get that gets everyone else in line, like a Brian Tracy and Eric's case, You'll do what it takes to make the sale happen. Coming from a place of offering value first, this whole sales process was very much done from a place of love, which I really appreciate. And finally, for those who are growing a business, we talked about culture a little bit and how you know working with remote teams now is offering some very cool opportunities, but a couple of things that are drawn back. But regardless, we have access to world talent and we're able to grow, make an impact and see where experts are available for everything we need to get done when we're growing our business as well. Eric, it's been a fantastic conversation. And I have to close with one little question, which is you're on the Selling with Love podcast. What does Selling with Love mean to you? You know, Selling with Love really just means 
understanding what your clients really need. It's just listening. It means understanding what they really need help with and then being able to ensure you can meet what they need. And if not, you know, if you can, fantastic work with them and not just sell just to sell, you know, sell because you're trying to solve their problem. And honestly, if you can't solve their problem, the next best thing you can do is be honest with them, tell them what you feel and help match them to somebody that will help them solve your problem. Because ultimately, that's what we're trying to achieve out there. And it all comes back to you. Amen. I definitely agree with that. Eric, thank you so much for your time and all you listeners. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.